Hello everyone, welcome to Urbanus Podcast. I'm the host, Donatas Urbanus, and I'm joined by my colleague, Ritis Vishnauskas. Ritis, I'm glad to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Hello everybody, hello Donatas. Uh, I have to say that I really love this switch from Lithuanian to English. Like, we're talking here for 30 or more minutes, preparing for the podcast, and then bam, all of a sudden Donatas starts. Hello everybody, welcome to Urbanus Podcast, and you're trying to forget Every single word that you know in Lithuanian and just focus on your English language. Now I won't forget any of phrases we just said before the podcast, like don't put pasta on my ears <laughs> or all the other yeah. spoons <laughs> we, after We the were dinner. translating uh, Lithuanian proverbs directly to English word by word. And definitely spoons after dinner is my favorite one. It, it means that... It should be spoons after lunch, no? Maybe after lunch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like, wh- where ba- basically the, where the dog is bird. <laughs> basically, it means that you're too late for something. <laughs> like, for example, if a team is making a comeback, yeah, but there's just not enough time. You're saying, well, they made a run, but it was just spoons after dinner. <laughs> they actually, Italians <laughs> also have something about pasta. Mama butta la pasta, something like that. It's also s- said that. Uh, Maybe I, I will be dead wrong with this probably, but it sounds, sounds like something pasta is cold already. Is, it, like that. is this what Marco Guduric said to Torre Messina? Probably. <laughs> and that's the best <laughs> intro we didn't even prepare for. But that's a good beginning because for sure we're going to talk about Marco Guduric and Torre Messina fight, big brawl, big, big stuff happened in Milan. Of course, with no punches at all, actually. Yeah. It was probably the softest fight uh, we had uh, now, in uh, the softest fight i have ever seen in my life was when carmelo anthony was actually running away from the fight and he basically <laughs> wanted to watch others fighting <laughs> but that was in in the united states we in europe we had some really big moments but we're going to talk about them later first yeah. of all let's focus on what happened in milan yeah we will focus uh, about milan things also we have a game of the week fs CSKA. we have a new signing in in kazan so there's a lot of stuff uh, to talk about but yeah let's start from from milan so what happened in your eyes because i was surprised what happened actually watching the replay once again because one was watching the what happened after the whistle after the final whistle, but you had to watch like two minutes before and Marco Gudrich yeah. was already pointing fingers at somebody. Probably it was Messina. Probably. Maybe fa- he was pointing at fans, but if you're pointing at fans, you, you're not pointing at coach. You're trying to find another direction just out to avoid any uh, possible misunderstandings. I think it was directed to Messina. It, it, it should se- be. It seemed like it. Um, it's really difficult to say what happened. Maybe something was said during the game or before the game. I I don't know. I haven't I haven't got a clue. But yeah. just to add, there was one version. Yeah. Uh, I saw uh, some t- people tweeting that uh, just before the halftime, when the teams went to the locker room, Marco Gudrich was speaking with refs. Uh, let's say too long. And according to some theories, Messina approached them and said that if these conversations they're not taking too long something like that and maybe there was something personal maybe he said this in some bad way i don't know it's one of the theories but for me it sounds like a bullshit i don't know well uh, i'm not sure about that it's good that there were no punches thrown actually it's good that we had kyle heinz the leader of the uh, players association there and he 
actually wanted to punish Marco Gudrić or teach him a lesson. I mean, he started pushing him. It was uh, friendly push, let's say. The words were not friendly, probably. The push mm. itself, maybe. Uh, but I really liked what Kyle Heinz did in the aftermath. He went to Twitter mm -hmm. and he posted on Twitter that he respects Marco Gudrić as a player a lot. He respects his skills and abilities. Uh, but at the same time, he will not tolerate disrespect towards his teammates and coaches. Uh, and he mentioned an example when they played in Istanbul and Armani, they were going for an easy one. They were dominating in that game. They did their job. They shook hands. They left the court. And basically, this is what he was addressing to Marco Guduric. You're winning in Milan. You're getting your revenge. You're beating the team that humiliated you in the first first round of the EuroLeague. That's it. You win. As Kyle Hans said, I can take the beating. I can accept that the other team beat us. Move on from that. But then what Marco Guderich did, I think it was unnecessary. It doesn't even matter if Atore Messina said something. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter if he doesn't like Atore Messina or they have some history. I don't, I don't know. He never played under Messina, but you never know uh, what kind of situations happened in the past. But you don't have to do that. I mean, res respect your opponents. I mean... I. I am 100% sure that Marco Guderich respects Kyle Heinz, Gigi Datome, Chacho Rodriguez, and all the other guys. So at the same time, show some respect to their coach, to, to their team, to their fans even. You win the game, leave the court, shake hands. If you don't want to shake hands, just leave. That's it. You were the better team. This is what matters. Yeah, and, uh, the worst part is that he did it twice. Uh, that was weird for me. Uh, when he increased the lead by nine, it was uh, something around one minute uh, to play in the end, and with Fenerbahce being up by nine, he already pointed a finger at, at, let's say, Milan's bench, probably Messina. And then after the game, he was like a few meters away from Messina, and he did it again. So eh, no matter what he said before, no matter what happened, I don't believe that Messina said anything that bad that you will be you would be pointing pointing finger at such a high-profile coach like Ettore Messina in, in, in Milan. So, okay, one, one thing... No, another thing, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the EuroLeague, right? And these are two elite teams, Fenerbahce and Olympia Milano. You never know where you're going to end up in the future. Why have bad relationships with somebody like Ettore Messina? Maybe there might be an opportunity in your career to play in Milan after a year, after two years. And now Ettore Messina would be thinking about Marco Guduric. Do I need him in my team? Because do I need this character? I mean, everybody knows he's a great player. Normally he would consider him for sure. He's Definitely. a great perimeter he's player. A, he's a great player. So why burn bridges? I don't know if I don't know if uh, Milan uh, or Messina will hire him in any in the future in any circumstances. But what I know for sure and what well I will be waiting for sure. I want Fenerbahce and Milan in the playoffs, as as, as you know as the matchup. It's of the a playoffs. tough ask because there's a long way to go. But we're gonna talk about Fenerbahce, what they are doing right now a little bit later. It's amazing, really. But uh, let's still focus on fighting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> one one more thing uh, to add about uh, uh, that. Let's see, fight that scuffle because the best thing about it, as you said, no punches were thrown. I mean, we are 
probably we didn't hear anything from the Euroleague yet, so no suspensions, no fines, because nothing really ma- uh, happened. And that's the best thing, because it seemed like 24 players were on the court, and it, yeah. it looked bad, and uh, nothing actually happened. What was also, of course, funny, uh, the way <laughs> Sasha Djordjevic start approached the whole situation. He hugged uh, Ettore Masina like a brother, or like yeah. older brother, let's say. He was like, oh, Ettore, just calm down. Oh, w- what is happening? It's, it's, it's bad, it's silly, blah, 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 blah. But in the end, he almost went into fight uh, with uh, Ch- Chacho Rodriguez. Probably happened because he didn't like that Chacho was pointing finger at him, but but which uh, I kind of agree. But Sasha accepted Kyle Hines when he. But Hines uh, wasn't pointing at him. Yeah, he was like showing something. He was saying something about Goodrich, probably. Yeah, and Sasha was but, was but nodding. Chacho was like, you know, <laughs> doing this, and I didn't like it either. So, I'm on Georgievich's side. You have to respect the coaches. I mean, they are the authorities in the Euroleague, so you have to show some respect, especially when we're talking about these legendary coaches like Messina and, and Georgievich. Uh, but players nowadays, I think they're too professional to actually throw punches. Mm. They feel some responsibilities. Back in the days, it oh, was yeah. it was wild, wild wild west, really, and people were actually fighting and punching each other. So we have some examples of that. One that comes to my memory was, I think, in two thousand and six, when FS Pilsen was playing Fenerbahce Ulker, and Mirsa Turkchan punched Marcus Hayslip in, in, in the face, and Marcus responded. And the scary thing is that Kaspar Skambala was on that court. Who knows what could have happened? <laughs> then when Kaspar Skambala was on the court maybe in he a was fight... In a, maybe he was in a good mood. <laughs> call some backup for police because it's yeah. going to end up badly. And they really exchanged punches, serious punches. For some reason, uh, for some reason Ibrahim Kulai almost got punched. For no reason, actually. He was in the middle, I think, in the Maybe middle of... Maybe Marcus Hayslip, first of all, didn't realize who punched him, so he just wanted to attack the guy closest to him. Then he realized that it's the big man, Mirsad, and he punched him back. Yeah, the and Kaspar Skambala, then he was running oh there. Oh, no, he's coming. He's the first one to come into the fight. Yeah, and, and if you're watching this game live in 2006, you're thinking, oh, my God, Kaspar is approaching. This is going <laughs> to be bad. This is not television it's not content. Fun at all. <laughs> they should end this broadcast immediately. There will be blood. <laughs> but, you know, the coolest thing about Ritis is that I asked him to remember some uh, historical U-League fights uh, just to relate it to our topic about Milan. And somehow, for some reason, he brings FS Fenerbahce Turkish basketball league game <laughs> from 2006. <laughs> How? Why? Because <laughs> I was watching a lot of illegal streams <laughs> in those days. I mean, I was a teenager and I was trying to watch every single basketball game I could. And if there's a big game in Turkey or in Serbia or anywhere else, I'm looking for streams online. And I really remember this game. And it was in the news as well, in Lithuanian um, media, basketball media, I mean. So, Mirsa Turkcan, he's known for his character, actually. Mm, he's a tough guy. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I tried to check for some... Uh, a good thing about the Euroleague is that we didn't have many fights, actually, yeah. in the last decade, uh, especially. So, I tried to Google some of the fights, let's say... Euroleague fights, that's it. I typed it on, on YouTube. And I actually, I, I forgot about the great fight in 2013, Galatasaray playing Olympiakos. Ergin Ataman is the head coach of Galatasaray. 
Carlos Arroyo is the point guard of oh, Galatasaray. Yeah. And oh, of course, yeah. uh, Olympiacos, they have Spanulis. I think Papa Nicolau is already playing. Uh, Printezis. Uh, Printezis, uh, for sure. And <laughs> what kind of fight it was between Mirza Begic and Popsman Sabonsu. And the funniest thing is that Mirza Begic was the first one who helped. Though, to begin with, it was an easy situation. Uh, Olympiacos, they're up by 26, something like that. Three minutes to play. Easy situation. Somebody is shooting uh, free throws, and Begic and uh, Popsman Sabonzu, they're fighting for the rebound. For some reason, uh, Begic didn't like how active Mansabonzu was, and he tried to throw a elbow, let's say. And I, I think that he hit uh, Popsman Sabonzu. Sabonzu was already uh, irritated by the result, by the upcoming outcome of the game, so he just threw the punch uh, straight into the face. And the, what the funniest thing is that Mirza tried to punch him again. He missed. And uh, he ended up uh, getting like three or four punches by Popsman Sabonsu. Yeah. Um, during that uh, fight, uh, Yorgos Printezis also got uh, got one punch. And I was so surprised to see that Mirza Begic was suspended for four games and uh, 15,000 uh, euro fine. Uh, while Popsman Sabonsu got on, got only free game disqualification and ten thousand uh, k fine. Printes is also he had uh, he was suspended for free games. So yeah. the only explanation is that it started from Mirza, you know, and him throwing that elbow. But he was the unluckiest guy in that fight. You know what's what's the irony in this? That Olympiakos signed Popsman Sabonsu after the season, nah, actually. Nah. That's, that's the irony already. Nah, the irony is that it happened in Peace and Friendship Stadium. Ah. <laughs> we, all know, we all know this legendary, peaceful <laughs> no stadium peace. for basketball. There's no peace nor any There friendship. was never any peace. <laughs> actually, Olympiakos, they were fined uh, as well by yeah. 40,000 because Popsman Sabonsu tried to leave uh, the arena uh, for some reason, I don't know why he didn't leave the arena through the tunnel. He um, chose the other uh, um, exit, yeah. and fans started to throw all the coins, you know, spitting and uh, all the things happening. So that's why they were fined by forty thousand euros. Since our podcast d this week is about violence, <laughs> 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 I have to say that there could have been another fight in in Europe last week in Konos if Derek Williams wasn't as professional as he is. Because Marek Blažević was screaming into his face. And yeah. he just pushed him. Yeah. That's all he did. Somebody with bad temper could have punched him. That's the thing uh, which I tweeted when I saw the incident. And uh, no, actually, Mandas Kalnetas also said to Marek, man, you will get punched one day. Yeah. Because Marek Blažević, I mean, he he doesn't respect anybody. He, he's if it giving was Jalen Reynolds instead of Derek Williams... They already had a face-to-face... -face, uh, but it wasn't as serious as yeah, this. I yeah. mean, you feel disrespected when someone's scoring an end one on you so already and he's screaming directly into your face? Yeah. 20-year-old kid screaming at you, yelling. It, it, he, he said... I, I talked with Marek and he said, oh, no, I was just screaming and yelling, yelling out of joy and I, I wasn't looking right. at him. No, right. no, no. We watched the replay. <laughs> right. We saw that face. Actually, for that <laughs> thing, he, he would have been punished by a technical in the NBA. Probably. So he was punished with a technical uh, later, uh, but later after yeah. a review, and Derek Williams was punished with an sportsman like. Yeah, so yeah. obviously, the punishment for Derek Williams was bigger. However, it didn't escalate into anything else. Uh -huh. uh, later on, Maccabi did what he did in the second half. Scotty Wilbekin said that Marek Blažević is Jokubaitis or something like no. that. Um, and 
no punches were thrown there, no punches were thrown in Milan, but actually somebody lost a tooth in Madrid. <laughs> so there was a lot of violence last week in the EuroLeague. Vincent Poirier ended the game without the teeth in his yeah. mouth. But he didn't lose his um, good mood actually after oh, the game. No. He was just oh, sharing no. all the all the photos. <laughs> On social media, he was the most entertaining Euroleague player yeah. that night. Yeah, and actually, it was a very impressive game for Real Madrid. But we're not going to focus that much on Madrid. We talked about them in our last podcast. Mm. They're just too good. Yeah, I mean, nothing to talk about them. Let's give some credit yeah. to Fenerbahce. Let's focus on basketball now. Let's leave the fighting and the punching uh, behind us. Yeah. What Fenerbahce is doing right now is actually one of the most amazing stories in the EuroLeague this season. Mm -hmm. Everybody was thinking when they lost the Colin Vesely that they're doomed. They were already in a bad place. Mm -hmm. They were losing too many games. They didn't start the season very well. Um, they lost a lot of games in the last seconds. You could have expected the morale in the team to be a little bit down. And now all of a sudden you're losing two of your best players. So what happened? Marco Guduric stepped up. Daishon Pierre stepped up. Sasha Djordjevic is showing his full coaching potential. And they're winning games. Not only that they're winning against the bottom teams, now this was a big statement win in Milan. They beat Olympia Milano with their full roster, almost full roster. Mm -hmm. They're still waiting for Shevon Shields and some other guys Mita to Glue. recover. Yeah, But still, it's a very good yeah, team. Yeah. They, all, they also signed a new player. Yeah, yeah. And Fenerbahce came in there with Marco Guduric as their primary ball handler, with Daishon Pierre fighting for 36 minutes, with guys like Akila Polonara who are very hungry, and they're extended their winning streak, and they're moving up the standings. In the meantime, the Colo and Vesely are getting healthy, so it's amazing what's happening. Definitely Fenerbahce now are serious playoff contenders. Yeah, I remember one month ago we were talking about that bad situation straight uh, right away after uh, Asphalt game when we knew that uh, the call will be out for like two months, uh, Vesely out for one uh, more than a one month. And we were already saying that, oh, does it mean that uh, Fenerbahce, they are already uh, out of the playoffs? Although we were smart enough saying that, okay, wait, they have some okay schedule they're playing at home uh, also uh they will have some players uh, which will step up for sure and sometimes a smaller rotation helps these players to get some uh, confidence which they actually did and uh, we we have some examples that at least for the short term uh, these kind of uh, difficult situations going through obstacles they kind of unite uh, the team and it seems like that this is what happened with this Fenerbahce team as i mentioned they're uh, on a four game winning streak winning uh, again against Jargidis as well, uh, Milan, Olympiacos, it all started mm -hmm. from that game. And uh, I tried to check, um, uh, <laughs> the funny thing, we, we had a Zoom a meeting uh, this morning and we have uh, one Turkish colleague and his impression about Fenerbahce winning streak uh, was, I have no idea how Fenerbahce managed to do that. Dashon Pierre actually played 40 minutes in Milan, 40 minutes. Marco Guduric carried the team in, in the game against Jargidis. With all they the criticism uh, he's getting right now for what he did in Milan, he was playing amazing basketball. He was averaging, during this uh, stretch, he was ad averaging 15.5 points on 70% uh, two-point shooting and 50% three-point shooting, 4.8 assists, uh, 2.5 yeah. rebounds, 2.3 steals, only in 22 minutes. That's he's, an amazing basketball. He's showing leadership. But actually, we should not be surprised about that. No, I was no, no. surprised about Guduric starting the season poorly. Mm -hmm. 
because of the injury. He yeah. had some very irritating probably, injury, probably. which because stopped him for let, a while. Let's remember uh, when he was playing uh, for uh, Jelko Bradovic in Fenerbahce, mm. when they had some injuries, when they needed to rest Kostas Lukas, he was the ball handler. Yeah. He, he was the creator. He has all these skills. He had amazing performances for Serbia national team as well. He is in his prime. So I'm not surprised he's doing what he's doing right now. But it just shows that players at this level, they have such strong personalities. The call is out. Mm -hmm. You need to step up. And he's delivering. I mean, Pierre Henry, you can say he's not very consistent. He, he got injured recently. And actually, he, he was averaging only 6.5 uh, points. Yeah, but what I love about him is that he's showing so much passion. We remember again, yeah. Zalgiris, he entered the game where he shouldn't have yeah. played a single minute. He was not ready, but he wanted to play. And he got injured in the game against Olympiakos, and he also played through injury, which told a lot about his uh, dedication for the team. And it yeah. seemed like that all the team was inspired by that kind of example, because without Henry, without De Colo, they were in a huge trouble. So this is a team with a, a lot of character and great mentality. And in short term, it helps to compensate your losses. And the call with Wesley, they should be back this month. Jan Wesley, I saw photos in the next that he was already weeks, practicing, uh, making some shots. And who knows, maybe for the game against Bayern or for sure, maybe for the next week, he should be yeah. ready. Uh, now, now they're facing... The was out for, for a longer time, probably mm -hmm. his few weeks away from, from playing. Okay, so now they're facing Real Madrid. On Tuesday. and Then it's Bayern. On Friday. Then there's this break. Uh -huh. And... February 25th oh, in yeah. Monaco, I expect to see them back. So mm -hmm. it's it's a good opportunity for them. I mean, now in the next two games, even if you lose one, for example, against Real Madrid, it's not a huge problem. The game against yeah, Bayern course. Munich will be the crucial one. Yeah, That's their direct uh, rival. For it the is playoffs. very interesting to follow Fenerbahce actually this year. I try to find some statistical explanation because looking looking at Fenerbahce game, you don't see any huge difference. We already mentioned, you know, a shorter rotation. They were always a defensive-minded team and they kept uh, that kind of mentality and they, their numbers didn't change a lot. Uh, for example, the biggest difference was that their uh, offensive rating improved, improved from the 10th to 5th. Uh, but for example... They were the best uh, two-point shooters uh, before. They still are. Uh, they improved their three-point accuracy by like 3% to 36, which is not impressive at all. But the main difference, the main difference is in the fourth quarter. If you yeah. remember in the beginning of the season, uh, we were always saying that they were uh, super unlucky or they lack of killer instinct or they're lacking of, uh, let's say, sharing their roles or sharing who should uh, finish the game. And now in the last four games, the, they won four quarters, which actually decided games by nine points on average, which is crazy. They scored almost 24 points per fourth quarter, allowing only almost uh, 15 points. And that was crucial yeah. against Milan. 17 to 9 against Asvel, 21 to 13. Jalgiris, 29 16. A great comeback. They were uh, down by 20 almost. And of course, Olympiakos, 28 uh, 21. So that's that's an amazing uh, change. And we just have to give a lot of credit to Coach Djordjevic. Uh, I don't want to show any disrespect towards nobody, but I couldn't imagine under these circumstances Fenerbahce winning with Igor Koshkov being the head mm -hmm. coach. Mm hmm. I could not imagine that. And with Sasha Djordjevic, first of all, you have 
head coach with winner's mentality. A true Serbian coach, old school Serbian coach. And with Igor Kokoskov, without the Kolos talent, I don't think they could do anything like this. So the move they made in the summer, which was unexpected, when they hired Djordjevic, when Kokoskov decided to leave for Dallas, turns out to be the right decision, in my opinion. Yeah, and we remember Fenerbahce under Kokoskov. It was a team playing some, some they basketball. They were winning because of talent, because they had the Colo, because they had Lorenzo Brown, because they added Guderich in the middle of the season. Mm. That's why they were winning. I didn't see a lot of strategy or tactics. They were playing sort of I NBA regular face. season basketball. Exactly. Now this Just team... Just pick and roll with Vesely every single time and you have the talent and you're going to win some games and in the end you finish uh, seventh or sixth in the standings yeah. and they face a sky in playoffs. So in these type of situations, injury crisis, mm -hmm. you need real European you coaching and this is what Djordjevic brings to the table. You need character and this team yeah. is showing character. They are super aggressive. Uh, they're playing very tight defense. They're crashing the boards. They're very phys physical. They're playing, tend to play slow tempo basketball without giving fast break opportunities. And, on the ever, uh, and they're using all these fast break uh, opportunities. Some four quarter stats are crazy. For example, they're uh, uh, winning 33% of offensive rebounds in four quarters, which is crazy. They are getting every third uh, basket, which is uh, jumping uh, uh, off the rim. Uh, I mean, by a lot of factors, they are first, first in offense, first in defense, first in rebounding, true shooting percentage, first in assists, first in offensive rebounds, first in forced turnovers, first in defensive rebounds. I mean, that's that's a hell of a uh, factor that helped them to win. So, But as we said, it's not a coincidence. That's the outcome of the character they were showing. And uh, I try to, again, I try to find some explanation, but even Fenerbahce people, they're saying nothing actually changed. We were playing like this way all season long. And the best thing is that uh, despite the defensive mindset, some 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 fans uh, from the beginning of the season, they were criticizing uh, Djordjevic, they were criticizing Fenerbahce, they didn't play attractive basketball. But the thing is that uh, the most important thing that all the players are happy uh, about themselves, about the, the team. They are united. And, you know, that defensive mentality also helps uh, to survive all these tough uh, situations. Of course, they only played 21 games so far. They have a lot of postponed games. Um, they're 11 to 10. Bayern Munich is very close. Monaco is very close. Anadolu FS is very close. But they played least games Everything among is these so teams. tight, yeah. And those postponed games will be very important for them to catch up. Right, so that's enough about Fenerbahce. Probably yeah. they deserve a lot of yeah. good, good words from us this week. I hope we didn't disappoint our Turkish audience this I time. So. Let's jump to another Turkish team yeah. uh, playing against SK Moscow, the game of the week, arguably. I without mean, coaches. Without coaches. <laughs> game of the week without the head coaches. I have to say I was impressed by Andre Andreas Pistiolis, right? I mean, I, I, I mean... It's hard to match Dimitris Etudis and his um, his skill to speak, to express himself, his body language. But Andreas was doing a great job in the pre-game, post-game uh, interviews. I wasn't as impressed with his <laughs> coaching. Okay, that's that's the another topic. That's the another topic. <laughs> the interviews, yeah. That's they, where they, they, Jakob, they were good. That's where Jakob Sekiskok was shining because he was not used to all these uh, short pre-game interviews. He was giving analysis like a good old school uh, uh, assistant He's coach. TV interviews, a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. He was speaking for like two <laughs> minutes. Uh, but... 
why I was disappointed with Pistiolas, what I wanted to say. Because, because he put uh, Milutinov in the end against, uh, in the situation not, where Not only in the end, uh, the whole time. I mean, I know they were suffering because Bolomboy got injured and they also lost Foytman, so they were kind of out of options. You cannot play Ivlev. But it you can a, play Antonov. It, it was a big risk to play Ivlev, but you can go small with Clyburn, with Kurbanov. You can use Antonov a little bit more. And Milutinov, not only that he was playing extended minutes without a substitution, they were not changing the defensive system. This is what bothered me. I think under Dimitris Itudis, there would have been some adjustments. They were switching everything with Milutinov up until the end of the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. And that very last position that Anadolu has had, mm -hmm. it's a switch. You leave Milutinov against Vasamicic. It's a very and easy drive yeah. and very easy points. So in this case, if you're not trusting your defense, there's 13 seconds left. You're up by two. Mm -hmm. Foul him. Especially let him tie the game. minded game. Let him tie the game. Have the last possession. I know they had one second and they actually had a decent play an alley yeah. for Will Clyburn that could have finished the game. But they were just trying to ride their luck. There was no defense. Mm. They were dependent on Anadolifus not making shots, missing some layups, and they actually missed some in the overtime. But in the end, come on, Rodrigo Bobois is having a jump shooting practice? Mm. Wide open buckets. You're and they were away. making all the shots differently from the last uh, few games. Saska had the momentum. They had an 18 to nothing run in the beginning of yeah. the third quarter when Daniel Hackett was playing superstar basketball. Mm. It seemed like they had this game in their hands, but then Bolomboy's injury happened. Then Anadolu has finally made some shots. And then another thing. I don't think Dimitri Situdis would have done that. Okay. Trusting Vladimir Ivlev even for a minute mm. and making him I was also switch. surprised. I was also surprised. You can try to play with Ivlev, let's say the first minute of the fourth quarter while you still have the 14 fouls. So he will go there and he will make mm -hmm. a couple of fouls. In the meantime, Milutinov will catch his breath and he will come back. But he just threw Ivlev in the middle of the third quarter. There were some fouls and Vasamic just obviously saw Ivlev as an easy target. Everybody saw it. So with Dimitri Situdis by the sidelines, there would have been better coaching decisions and maybe they would have won the game even with the injuries that happened. I'd, I'm not showing any disrespect to Pistillon. No, no, nobody no. wants to be in these he circumstances. He was in a super uh, tough situation. Definitely, as you said, his interviews were, were great and very professional. And even with all these mistakes, with all these decisions, they could have won the game. Another oh, thing, it, if they would have won the game, okay, it would be a scandal. Because, you mean in the overtime, when Clyburn made an offensive foul. It was a clear offensive foul. But I'm talking about the regulation, end of the regulation. I mean, it was all set, except from that um, playing yeah, the switch okay, defense. Okay. But for example, it was all set with Hackett making three and one. It was an amazing. Andrei Batutin is jumping after this chair. Hackett yeah. uh, making three and one and make, uh, marking his career high. I think it was his uh, 13th, uh, 30th uh, point uh, in, in that game. Yeah, he got 31. And uh, after he made a free throw, they were up by two. And yeah, that Milutinov switch on the happened. But then Hackett made a great pass to Will Clyburn. Of course, it was a tough situation, but yeah. you can imagine winning the game that way. Hackett, the game of his life. Yeah, I remember, the game I remember for example, Dwight Howard winning game in this way in the uh, NBA when he played for Orlando. Dunk? So it's possible. Uh, Will Clyburn missed it. Yeah, I agree with what you said, but still what happened in the overtime... Mm -hmm. Will Clyburn, it was a charge. Yeah. And 
clear then he made charge. A, then he made a pass, and Alexi Shved was wide he open. He was open. So if he makes the shot, FS lose the game. Ataman at home <laughs> would go crazy, even though he said he was kind of relaxed. But if they lose and he sees that, what happened? Will Clyburn I want I want Ergin Ataman impression on that last possession. Will Clyburn's uh, charge. His son Sarf is also watching <laughs> the game. Ergin Ataman, he, he said that <laughs> he's... I already see your face. <laughs> I cannot stop laughing, but okay. Because uh, Ataman, after the, the last game, uh, when they uh, won against... Who, who they they played against anyway? Panathinaikos. Yeah, pr- probably not. Uh, anyway, uh, what's the difference? He coached the last game. Asphalt. You mean the very Asphalt. last yes, game? Yes, Asphalt. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and he yeah, mentioned yeah. that he was watching the game against Aska as a fan with Sarf, and he enjoyed that time. But watching the game as as a fan and being Ergen Ataman, I want to hear him watching that last possession of Aska Moscow. Look, son, this is not fair. Look what the Euroleague do to us. It was an offensive foul on Will. He just attacked Shane and they didn't whistle. It was a clear foul. Son, this is not fair. We're gonna fight this injustice. We will win the Euroleague for Anadolu FS again. We will be three time champions, free beat for Anadolu FS, respect for Istanbul. Anadolu is great. Thank you, coach. And uh, what would be your statements after winning the game? Better team won. Okay. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. So yeah, I was uh, I was having this scenario in my mind, you know, watching the game because there were some tactical situations and very poor defense. I mean, FS made 19 three-pointers. It's crazy. In the last five games, they made 22 of 100. Uh, and that was a yearly career. I wouldn't even say high. it was very poor defense. I would just say there was lack of defense. There was no defense. Yeah. I felt like watching, for example, Brooklyn Nets against Denver Nuggets for yesterday. Maybe Ataman was okay, but to do this... It was a whole different scenario watching that uh, TV. Yeah, I believe so. And it it was a very important point for Tsaska. If they if, if they had this win, they would move up to the fourth place. They responded actually against Alba Berlin. Oh yeah, but Alba Berlin is not an Adol FS. One thing is for sure. Even though Alba Berlin, I think it was the biggest surprise of the week. <laughs> oh yeah, what they did to Unix. That's that's crazy about Unix. I mean, they're the team which can win. They were the best team in the EuroLeague. They won against Barca, FS, very solidly. Even the game they lost in Barca, they didn't deserve that loss. They were playing the best basketball in Europe. But somehow, this is the team which sometimes they lose games against Alba by 28, Fenerbahce, 39. What's the middle for this team? I don't understand. Because they're the best team and sometimes they're the worst team of the EuroLeague. It's just Kazan we're having this year. Of course, there were some explanations, some reasons behind of that, COVID and, and stuff, but... And since we're talking about Kazan, we can say that they actually signed a player they needed. Velimir mm-hmm. uh, Parasovic was talking in, in some interviews that they need more depth in the squad. Uh, we really felt when Isaiah Cannon had to miss a single game and you already see that there's a problem, there's nobody to take these minutes. So they, they really needed to add somebody. And they added quality, not just somebody. They added experience. Uh, they added John Holland, who played for Unix Kazan actually last season in the Euro Cup. In my opinion, it's a very solid addition. He can be as uh, he can work as a backup for Mario Hezonia in some situations. Uh, he can play as a, a shooting guard. Small forward, yeah. It's a good signing in my eyes. Yeah, 
It's a big body. Uh, it fits uh, Unix uh, style of, of, of game they're showing this year because mm. maybe Holland is not the best elite defender, but he is showing all, he's always showing that willingness uh, to play defense, and that's uh, what Parasovic needs in this situation. He also he's a good uh, three point shooting shooter. He had re- very good percentages in, in in previous seasons, so he can make uh, spot up shots, which also this uh, team needs. And the best thing is that he knows the team, he knows the city. He won't be surprised by by the cold and, and, and Russian. Um, Unix also know him. Uh, okay, coach is different, but uh, they know uh, what kind of character uh, he is. He's a great guy in the locker room. Uh, he will come off the bench uh, and it's just a good mutual uh, agreement for, for both parts. Yeah, because players like Kuzinski, I mean, they're limited. I, Although he's doing the he's best doing, what he, he can he's do, He's doing actually. a good job with yeah. his role. He's doing a good job, for sure. He's starting but the game, he's But if you're now energy, already thinking about shots. making the playoffs, in the playoff series, you need to shorten your rotation to eight or nine players, and you want to have as much quality as possible. And John Holland, I think he also fits their defensive system. As we can see, he fits averaged a, a steal per game last year in the Euro Cup, and stealing the ball from the opposition is very important for Unix Kazan. John Brown is a master at this, but others are also contributing. And also, you want to protect Mario Hazonia a little bit. You don't want to overplay him in the regular season. You need to have Mario Hazonia being 100% ready for the playoffs. And let's not forget, they're not only challenging for the EuroLeague Final Four, they're also challenging mm-hmm. for the VTB League title. So John Holland will be a good option for Coach Perasovic. Yeah, I've also heard that... Uh, Unix might still remain on the market, and if they will add anybody until the deadline, which is February 23rd, uh, it might be the big man, frontline yeah, player who yeah. could play five, fifth or uh, power forward or center. That. I can understand that because uh, at the moment, basically, you're playing with uh, John Brown, Tonya Jekiri, and Andrei Oransevich. Perasovic doesn't really trust Gerald Brantley. Mm-hmm. He didn't even step on the court in Konas. So a big guy, somebody who can play in both fourth and fifth positions would actually complete the roster, in my opinion. If we are talking about contracts, uh, additions, I actually had a question for you about Will Clyburn. The thing is that he's on an expiring contract uh, and he's becoming the free agent in the summer. Uh, but the other thing is that I heard that it might be that... Uh, Clyburn won't be al- available this summer for other teams, which probably means that he might have some deal in place, and probably we can expect that maybe Tsaska signed a new contract with him, because it would be very early in January and February to to tie with uh, some uh, other team, because there are a lot of uh, unexpected things, which can also happen this year, so I would say that it might be that uh, maybe it's Ascar they're extending Will Clyburn, uh, let's say, or it seems like, or it's going that way. But the question is, do you sign Will Clyburn to an extension if you're Andrei Vatutin in this situation right now in January, February, not knowing how will you will end up this, this season, knowing what you have uh, under contract uh, already? I do, because who else am I going to sign? Who's better than Will Clyburn? I know he's maybe not having his best year, but 
Are there better players in the small forward position? Who would you Only sign? Vladimir Lucic is Lucic? becoming a free agent. Okay. But okay. I, I would love oh. to have Vladimir Lucic if uh, I have uh, scores. Uh, I, I need scores uh, to be uh, ne- next to him. Clyburn is scorer himself, and when you have Tarnika Schengeler, Nikola Milotinov, you, ha- you need some elite players on on perimeter. Well, Lucic can be a scorer, but the problem is Vladimir Lucic is 32 years old. Clyburn is also, let's say, old. Okay, but he has been here for a long time, so you already know him, and Utudis knows him. Clyburn is 31. I He's turning 32 I don't May. see any reason to not keep Will Clyburn. However, if he wasn't a market, I know a team that should go for Will Clyburn. In my opinion, it is Anadolu Efes. Mm. They need some more power in small, fo- small forwards position. When you're playing with Krunoslav Simon... He, I mean, other teams definitely attack him with players like Lyburn and Lucic and Kalinic and all the others who are bigger, above two meters. And um, at the same time, Krunoslav Simon is getting older. Sometimes you're trying to play with free guards like Mitic, Larkin and Bobois. And if they had more power in small forwards position, um, it would make them a lot better. I think this is This is one of the positions they should try to improve in the summer. Uh, James Anderson could be leaving. He's already a veteran also, mm-hmm. and he's only a defensive player. Uh, so if Will Clyburn was available, I think Gergin Ataman would call him or call his agent. Agent, mm-hmm. But if Tsaska has the option to keep him, and if, an if that word, was right? a decision to make for me, I would sign a three-year contract with Will, and then I don't have any worries about my... Small the only forward. thing why I was concerned that he was he's not really efficient uh, this season. He's uh, shooting only uh, 43% from the two-point uh, two range and 33% of uh, beyond the arc. Uh, although he's uh, having a career-high season in, in points, averaging uh, 14.9. But as, as I said, he's not very efficient. He's not very efficient uh, against the best teams, for example, against FS. Although he scored 19 points, he, he made seven from 19. And in the crucial moments, he was uh, losing balls, uh, missing shots, making charges. On on whistled charges, let's say, and against uh, other teams like Real, four of 16, Unings, three of 10, Barcelona, n- one from nine. I mean, he had some bad games, although he started the season really well 29 points against Olympiacos, for example, 26 points against Fenerbahce. So maybe it's just a bad stretch uh, for him. But if I had better options in the free agency, I wouldn't uh, hurry with this uh, extension. But right now, I see only Lucic. Nikola Kalinic maybe because he has plus one. Mario Ghezoni, I'm not so sure if he has player option or team option. Then there's Jeffrey Taylor, Lucic. They're not as elite as Will Climber. Or you would gamble with somebody from the NBA, but it's a gamble. Um, Remember last year in the Final Four, in the semifinal game, Will Clyburn has this in him to be the most dominant player in the court, at least for one night, and when it matters the most. And he's proven already, nah, he's just too good. I don't care about these numbers right now. Mm-hmm. I know that he's not playing his best year, as I said. Maybe it's also dangerous. Related the injuries to the has had, problems in general. Maybe his injuries had an impact. I mean, in the recent three years, he had some serious injuries. But he's just too good. He's still considered the best small forward in the EuroLeague. Ask 
other players in the Euroleague from other teams to pick the best more forward, and most of them would still say Will Clyburn. So, of course, I agree. Okay, so what we have on our game center for this week, uh, I, I have I picked few games. On Tuesday we will have Fenerbahce Real Madrid. On Thursday, uh, Olympiakos FS should be a good game. Uh, Maccabi CSKA. And on Friday, on Friday, of course, not only Fenerbahce Bayern, but El Clasico, the clash of Euroleague leaders, Real Barcelona. And Barcelona was the better team in both El Clasico so far this e- this season. I mean. A the Euroleague and the uh, Spanish ACB. Mm-hmm. So for Real Madrid, this is a very important game. And actually, it's an interesting situation that they lost more games in Spain than in the Euroleague. Mm-hmm. Now that last weekend they lost, lost against, against, Valencia. against Valencia by a point. So this game is a very important one for, for Madrid. Obviously, there's no such thing as El Clasico that doesn't matter. You don't even look at the standings when you're playing these type of games. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be a very good week. Unfortunately, I will not be able to see Fenerbahce Real Madrid, even though I really want to, but I will have to focus on Jalgiris. Okay. I thought you will see Winter Olympics, and I was like, what? Uh, nah, Winter Olympics, <laughs> that's another topic, but now I'm not really excited about seeing Ty Webster once again trying to attack switches of Kyle Heinz. <laughs> that's so bad, but <laughs> at the end of the day, you cannot blame any of these guys because nah. they're like hostages in this situation. Lietis shouldn't be the main I point mean, guard. Webster shouldn't be your main scorer. I mean, it's, it's in October. Terrible. In October, we declared that there's nothing to expect from Jalgiris this season. And it didn't really change in February. Now the only thing is to try and not be the worst team in the history of this format. Because Himki last season, they had, what, four wins? I think they had four wins. Let's check it fastly. So Jalgiris still needs to win at least two games. Uh, yeah, and it's it won't be easy, yeah. I was, trying to, I was trying to imagine where could those wins come from. Maybe at home against Aswell. With Okobo out. Yeah, maybe, maybe you can have a good game in Athens against Panathinaikos. Even though Panathinaikos now, they look no. a little bit better. Mm. They added Stefanovic. So there are some winnable games. It also depends on the situation of Jalgiris, which players will be healthy. Um, but yeah, this season is... What is, is interesting that they're playing Zvezda on Sunday. And it will be in April, I think. They just rescheduled a game. They announced a it before our game podcast. game on Sunday? Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep. 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 Because the schedule is just really crazy. Yeah. So I, they have I, to I, fit I all these games in somehow. <clears throat> Listen, we're ending the podcast, obviously. But still, now uh, I, I'm thinking about all of these fights and uh, conflicts we were talking mm-hmm. about. Did you watch the Netflix documentary Malice, Malice at the Palace. Palace? Yeah, yeah, I watched it. <laughs> I liked it so much. It was Jermaine good. O'Neal was so honest. I just had a way different perspective yeah. from that fight. Uh, and I feel really bad for Pacers. You can remember, I mean, it, it was the year 2004. Yeah. Yeah, 2004. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we were, watch- we were following the NBA in Lithuania. Mm-hmm. We had these discussion forums. And when this happened... We all just agree that why did they lose their, te- their temper? It was a dumb thing to do. What was Ron Artest doing? What was Steven Jackson doing? And when you watch that documentary, you get a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. And you understand some issues in America uh-huh. and all that stuff. So if somebody didn't see this yet, 
It's on Netflix and it's a really yeah. very, very they were good content. Labeled completely as bad guys. Yeah. And it's just like with Marco Goodrich. When we don't know the second opinion, second perspective of the story. Maybe so. You know. Maybe you so. Um it was sh the last shot for Reggie Miller to get uh, his ring. And he had a very good team. And everything was destroyed that night in Detroit. I actually, before watching that uh, docu series, uh, documentary, I didn't realize how good they were actually. Oh, they were a very good team. In the year before. I just forget that. In the year yeah. before they played against Detroit, if people say that uh, there's no defense in the NBA in 2004, Indiana Pacers against the Detroit Pistons. It was the most defensive mm -hmm. basketball series ever. <laughs> they were like between 70 or 80 <laughs> points. Like you're that. playing 48 minutes of basketball with guys like Reggie Miller, uh, mm -hmm. Chauncey Billups, uh, Rip Hamilton on the court, and the game ends 76-71. <laughs> yeah, and Tayshaun Prince, legendary block happened. Mm -hmm. I, I just love those historical moments of the NBA. I cannot help myself. I mean, I love the EuroLeague a lot, but none of these final four moments are stuck in my head as much as Deshaun Prince blocking Reggie Miller, Ray Allen hitting a three-pointer over Tony Parker's arm. We would all remember Prentices. Uh, I remember Prentices, but those NBA moments are so epic also because there are legends and uh -huh. documentaries yep. created yep. Yep. about them based on everything what happened. The Americans know how to make a good product. Mm -hmm. If something happened, they can make a two-hour documentary about that one single shot. This is so impressive, right? Yeah, I know I got a little bit off topic. No, it's but okay, I, because I, I, actually what was interesting <laughs> that Ron Artest almost ended up signing with CSKA I during his disqualification. Story. I remember yeah. that story. But it was just, uh, it wasn't allowed. I just uh, opened the article. It said that, uh, according to El Mundo Deportivo, that CSKA, they offered one million contract for Artes until the end of the season, but Indiana didn't let him go because he was under the contract. Run Artes in Moscow. <laughs> wow. 2005. Oh Wait. 2004, probably. Yeah, but it was the 0405 season. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it was something season. in December probably because he no, he, it was the beginning of the season because he was yeah, yeah. suspended for 72 games. It was the beginning of the season. But <laughs> our test in Moscow, uh, can you imagine that? No. Nope. Uh, JR Holden is there, Trajan Langdon is there. They're coached by Atore Messina. They have some other tough guys like David Manterpool, Viktor Hiapa, Matyas Smodish, and Ronar Test is there. That's wow. just amazing. Could have been another interesting story. Yeah, all these old good stories. Just watch Marcus Yeslip against Mirsad Roshan <laughs> on YouTube, and <laughs> that's just just good. In general, it's actually, I'm not talking about this fight, but I talked with some EuroLeague people, let's say, and they said that for the EuroLeague, it's actually good to have all these scuffles, all these, you know, talks, yeah, all because those because then you intrigues. have something viral. Yeah, nobody got hurt. It went viral. We're talking about it on, on Monday, a few uh, days after, and we will talk for a while since uh, until we'll hear response from, and, from and Goodrich next year, or anybody when, else. when Fenerbahce are playing Milano, and if Goodrich is still there, if Messina is still and there. if they're playing in Milan. Everyone's going to bring it up yeah, again. yeah. And that's good. Let's make all there these will stories. Be, there about will be more hype. Big things, of course. But still, another thing. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I know we had to finish. Very good. <laughs> uh, those quotes from Andrea Tinkieri and Sharuna Sisikiewicz. 
mm-hmm. actually worth mentioning. About I think. the calendar? Yeah, about how it is too difficult and how Trinkieri said that in the NBA, you can afford to lose some games and here you cannot. On, this, this is why is we have these low scoring matches on, that people bullshit. don't really like. I love Andrea Trinkieri, but I mean, if he said that uh, in the EuroLeague you cannot afford, yeah, as I mentioned, to lose these games, but you have 34 games. I mean, we see, we saw all these teams having some bad stretches. We saw FS coming from 11th seed last year, winning the title. There's no room for improving or like uh, just giving away some games and then coming back. I'm not so sure. Maybe there are some hidden messages more oriented towards the national championship. For example, the Bundesliga that you're still you still have to play on weekends. Maybe. Your focus is obviously on the EuroLeague. Then those games on weekends, they are low quality. Yeah, I understand the idea. Yeah. Just the whole form was not yeah. the for, most quality. For Spanish teams, it's obviously different. Jesikavich is in a situation where he wants to win every game. And for him, the games in the Spanish League are just as important as the ones in the EuroLeague. Mm-hmm. And the calendar, Obradovic, uh, uh, I think like a month or two months ago, was talking about the international breaks mm-hmm. that are not good for the players. And he had this idea that the EuroLeague teams should join the national championships from the playoffs. We mm-hmm. discussed it all, uh, as yeah. well. And more and more and more coaches are talking about these things. Messina so, also mentioned something, so at least three early coaches. Probably they're just trying to put some pressure yeah, on the so decision makers yeah. to look for solutions. What's actually funny that uh, I talked with Isaiah Cannon last week. I asked him about the schedule because Unings, they were also on a heavy schedule. And he was like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm playing games. No practices, less practices, especially playing under Perasovic. I'm okay with that schedule. I told him that oh, all the coaches are complaining. He said, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. And uh, most of these players are actually more games, less practices fans. So Isaiah Cannon is a, an NBA player. He comes yeah. from the NBA culture. He brings that mentality. Th- these guys are used to playing back-to-back games. Mm. They're not used to practices during the season. They are either playing or flying. Mm. That's their regime when you have this 82-game regular season. But the point is probably that in the NBA you can have a different approach on these games. You're more relaxed. The Brooklyn Nets now lost eight games in a row. But still, you're expecting that Harden will be back, KD will be back, and they will be where they're supposed to be, and they will win 10 in a row then, let's say. right? In the EuroLeague, what happens if you lose eight games in a row? Basically, your playoff hopes are dead. Mm, not necessarily. Before before COVID happened, Jargis had that season. Nine almost made it, made it to the playoffs. Well, not necessarily dead, but We had Maccabi like, having an eight-game losing streak. They're, streak. they're still in the playoff race. So, I mean... They are in the race, but will they make the playoffs? It's difficult to we'll say. See. I don't we'll f- see. I don't think so. But I see your point. I see your point. Yeah, we already talked about these changes the league should 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 make in order to make the regular season yeah, format. Ju- I just more. wanted to bring this up because yeah, because, because a, a lot of coaches are talking yeah, about yeah, and it. not yeah. for uh, let's say for no reason. Yeah. Something is happening behind the scenes, so we are excited. We cannot wait to see what what will be the outcome of all these yeah. talks and all this agenda they're and pushing. It's probably not a coincidence that this is happening when there are also all these talks about uh, Jordi Bertomeu being mm-hmm. replaced by somebody new so okay that's all thank you yeah.
Thank you, everybody, who were listening to us because you can watch us and listen to us on a few different platforms. First of all, YouTube, basketnews.com channel, and, of course, all the main audio platforms, uh, platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, whatever, wherever you're listening to the podcast, we're on it. So thanks for watching and see you next week, probably. Yeah, see you next week. Bye-bye.